All right, well, hey, everybody. Welcome to um, our next, I don't know, video installment of The Big Question. We're, uh, we're talking here uh, to, to, to Liz Diddy and to Jay Kim. Thank you guys for joining, uh, joining me on this call. And uh, we're going to be looking at a, a question. Uh, and guys, I want to pose this. Um, <sighs> so a lot of life group leaders have written in. I've had lots of conversations. And not just life group leaders, but like folks in our church. This is a really contentious and confusing time just in our nation. Um, we're, we're, we're filming this a week after the debates, uh, the U.S. presidential debates, which were uh, just uh, not exactly an exercise in constructive dialogue, shall we say. Uh, it was really confusing. There was a lot of yelling and shouting and talking over. And that's just kind of a metaphor for, I think, where we are. Just as a society, we talk over each other. We don't listen. There's so much anger. Uh, confusion, and that actually can bleed into the way that we communicate just as, as believers to one another, not just in life groups, um, but also just as people, um, in, in as Christians, as brothers and sisters. So we just wanted to talk about how in the world can we communicate well, how can we talk well to each other in a time that is so contentious with issues that are deeply personal and deeply emotional in a way that honors God. So um, before we get any, go any further, have you guys experienced this too? I imagine that you have, but have you experienced this kind of tension and divide, division, vitriol in, in your lives? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who hasn't? Especially, I, mean, it's, I think it's always been true for sure, you know, but uh, seems undeniable to me that, that it's true in, uh, in a really unique and challenging way now you know i'll just speak as uh someone who has been a pastor in a local church setting for the last almost 20 years of my life yeah i've never 20 years is not a long time so i also don't want to be guilty of chronological snobbery and say this yeah. is the hardest it's ever been no i mean it's been harder than this many times throughout the history of the christian church it's the hardest it's been in my 20 years, though, uh, of, of yeah. Christian ministry. And most of my friends who are serving and leading in local churches are 20 years in or less. Some, some are longer, but uh, and, and all of those friends tell me the same thing, that at least in our lifetime, this is the most uniquely challenging. It's always been challenging and rewarding in unique ways, and it still is rewarding in, in really beautiful, powerful ways. But the challenges are are so strange and uh, none of us feel ready for it for sure because it's hard to talk to each other these days you know and um, it's it's really hard to talk uh, for 20-30 minutes or whatever in a message or whatever knowing that you're talking to a lot of people and um, there's not a week I just lay all my cards on the table here there's not a week that goes by that I teach or whatever that I don't get emails from a variety of people about something that offended them or hurt their feelings or something. And, um, and that's not bad. I, I'm appreciative of the, of the response and the feedback. It helps make me, you know, it helps to make me better, but uh, it's hard because there, there are all these like, you know, ways that we say things that uh, have to, we just have to be mindful of in, in ways that, that are new to me. So 
yeah, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. What, what about you, Liz? What, what are your experiences? Yeah, I mean, I'd say I've had plenty of awkward conversations, although probably more awkwardness without conversations. Like, I think there's a lot of people who are like, I like you enough that I don't want to talk about this right now because I just don't even want to go there because I know that if we start getting there, then I'm going to like you less and I don't want to do that right now. Um, but I will say that there have also been some really good conversations. And I, I feel like the, um, the community and that the church offers and, and that friendship offers and that yeah. family offers is actually really a helpful place to process some of this. If you can build off of, um, you know, existing relationship and just keep your respect in place for one another. And remember that this is a person that you care about and you respect. And so suddenly, you know, um, and we'll, we haven't gotten together with very many people because of COVID-19, but there's been a few people who um, we've been able to have dinner with. And when you're sitting around a table and yeah. you're looking each other in the eye and, you know, someone tells you that they're really scared about the way that this is going or the way that that is going, um, then you can start to see different people's points of view. And, you know, I think when, when people uh, where people get their information from matters a lot. And, and when you start to realize that, you know, a lot of these people are kind of, a lot of these people who even think differently than me are doing the best that they can with the information that they have. And then when we start to actually talk with each other, um, I, I feel like it actually opens up and adds layers to, um, you know, a lot of these issues. And in some ways it's actually made me less afraid of like, oh, you know what? There's not, there's not like this like mob of people who are so wildly different from me and who have such wildly different values. And, you know, if they, if they get a hold of the steering wheel, like everything's going to be over. Um, like it starts to be like, oh, wow. Like we're actually both human. Like we're both worried about some of the same things when it comes to our families or this or that, but we're just worried about it in different ways. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so I feel like that human connection um, and being able to have, you know, discuss these things in the context of conversation is really helpful when you can get there. Um, like I said, I feel like, you know, there's plenty of awkwardness and non-conversation happening too. It does seem like the church is uniquely poised to be um, a place where people can have deep and honest conversations about important things. I mean, if right, that's what the church is kind of built for. Maybe not with everybody in the church, but as as a place, as a as as a as a body, we, we'd like to be the kind of place where we can have actual, honest, deep conversations about the most important things of life, including all these these issues that we're dealing with currently right now. So that's that's important. So to, to that end, I mean, I, I just wanted to kind of zoom back and and this is going to turn into I don't mean for this to turn into professor zone, but this is just something that's been helpful for me. And so I wanted to share it with you two and, uh, and then share it with everyone who, who's watching as a, as, a, as a way to talk about how we talk about things. Does that make sense? So it's like kind of communication theory at 30,000 feet to give us, to think about how we think, to talk about how we talk. And then in the process, hopefully it'll make us a little bit more aware uh, of some things. And so I just want to share that. Is that cool? Can I, can I go ahead and do that? 
Take it away, Dr. Dave. Uh, all right, I'm not a doctor. Here we go. Uh, let's let me let me share some slides real quick. I made some slides. Is that that's how much I care about you? And um, so this is a, basically I, I stole this information from seminary. Dr. Gary Brashears, who's my uh, seminary cohort leader at Western Seminary. Jay, you know him. You've worked with him for years. As uh, you worked at Western too with the Regen Project and and uh, the classes that you're teaching there. But uh, as we were going through this, he said, "Hey, listen. As a pastor, you have to understand a little bit about communication theory, about why humans communicate and what they're going for." So here's the, he said there's four levels of human communication. This is kind of common theory 101. And the first is uh, personal intimacy and relationship. People communicate in order for to reveal things about themselves and for a relationship. And the purpose is to communicate feelings. And the response that people are looking for and the response that's proper is, I either care about this or I don't care about this. I either care about you or I don't care about you. And the goal when somebody shares the, these things is to connect with uh, another human being. And so there's that. The next layer is description and information. The point of this is the communication of facts. And the proper response is this is either true or false, or I agree or I disagree with these facts. And the goal is to correct information. The third form of communication is motivation and persuasion. And the purpose is to command or exhort uh, somebody to do something, behave a certain way, and the proper response is to obey or disobey. And the goal is to change people's direction. Um, where they're headed and, and what kinds of things they're doing. And then the last level, oops, so the last level is purpose and hope. And the purpose of this is to communicate perspective. And the proper response is to believe or trust. And the goal is to bring comfort and peace to someone. So in the middle of that, that's kind of the, the general uh, kind of theory. First, communication of feelings and for personal intimacy, communication of facts. For information to command and exhort to motivate and persuade and then lastly to bring comfort and peace by talking about purpose and hope so the reason why i share those is because if somebody comes to you in your group or in interpersonal relationships and something has happened to them that is deeply emotional what they're looking for is not a correction of the facts of that matter right that's not what they're looking for they're looking they're wondering, do you care? And if we respond with, well, I don't know, those details don't seem right to me, what you're doing is you're short-circuiting communication theory. Like, for example, like even in marriage, like if my wife comes to me and she's like mad and she's just like, you know, I, you, you just don't even care about the kids or me. And I'm like, well, that's not true. Look what I did here, 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 here. You see what I've, I've just totally short-circuited what she was looking for, which is man, I'm so sorry you feel that way. That's not true. I'm sorry that that has ever even entered your mind. I need to do better. I care deeply about you and whatever I've done, to, et cetera, et cetera. The point is, if you know what kind of connection the person is going for, what kind of relationship you're in, what kind of thing they're going for, it can actually help you um, get through some of these uh, landmines of communication. So reactions, thoughts? Yeah. I find that really helpful. I, you know, one of the reasons why I think those distinctions are helpful is because in our interactions with one another, whether it's in a life group or just in life, you know, as we're uh, interacting with those who might have a variety of viewpoints that differ from ours and, and there could be potential for 
you know, real tension between us based on any particular topic. I think first and foremost, recognizing sort of which um, language we are using when we are speaking with one another in any given conversation is so crucially important. I've, to me, it strikes me that one of the reasons why we so often talk over one another and feel unheard by the other is that often we're using multiple languages, just like the example you gave. One person might be, you know, using the language of personal intimacy and relationship. They want to communicate how they feel. Uh, and then the response might be language two, which is a description of, of the facts and the information. And, um, or it might be like motivation and persuasion, language three, someone's sharing how they feel. And all I care about is motivating or persuading them to think about things the way I do. This is something I'm guilty of a lot in my marriage, actually, where Jenny will communicate her feelings about a particular thing. And my personality is such that I'm constantly wanting to resolve the issue, which usually thrusts me if I'm not careful, always into language three, which is motivation and persuasion. I'm gonna to try to um, convince you that we need to make X, Y, and Z changes. And what it does is it hijacks any opportunity for real connection right. and real change because that's not what she needs in that moment, you know? And uh, what she needs is empathy. What she needs is a recognition uh, and of, of, of her experience. And, um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that this is so crucially important uh, and helpful for me in recognizing, like, what are we talking about here, you know? And I, I think it feels like often one of the reasons why we experience so much tension is because, particularly with language one, with personal intimacy and relationship, communicating our feelings, knowing, trying to know if the other person actually cares, that's the most intimate sort of level of communication. And often that sort of communication is met with another language, language two or three, you know, usually. And that can be really painful, you yeah. know, and uh, it can close us off. I think that that's true for all of us. And, um, you know, it's the language of empathy. And I think for all of us, you know, empathy is probably number one, like we're not going to get anywhere else if there isn't any sense of empathy, if there isn't a, a level of trust that the other person actually cares what I'm going through and what I'm feeling and experiencing, none of the other things can happen, right? Unless there's that trust built. And so even if we're not the feeling type, we have to land there and maybe even start there most of the time. I was going to say, I think I think that's key is that um, you're not going to get anywhere else until you get there. And so I think starting there is huge, but that doesn't mean you have to stop there, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone says, you know, I'm really scared because, you know, the world is ending for this new reason that is the headline of this week, mm -hmm. um, then you can absolutely like you're not going to get anywhere until you get past the i'm scared or i'm you know and and sometimes scare or fear can hide itself as anger or outburst or you know taking control of things or lots of different other ways right but until you deal with that part um you're not going to get anywhere else but 
you know, to, to your silly example, Dave, of like, um, you know, like you don't have to just stop with, oh, but I do love you. You know, you can, you can move then on to, to what's next. Right. And, and, and the data can come, like you can say like, Hey, you know, um, I remember I was, (laughs) I was in the kitchen. If we're all telling our marriage stories, I was in the kitchen and I was reading the news on my phone and I must've had this look on my face. And Mike was like, Liz, what is wrong? And I was like, can you believe it? You know, and I started to read in the article and he was like, Liz, you know, it's going to be a different headline tomorrow, right? Like you don't like, it's okay. Like, believe it or not, like it's, it's okay. Um, and then he kind of was like, you know, and actually if you look at this and then you look at that and you look at this, it's actually not nearly as bad as they're making it sound. Um, but like, he didn't just stop with like, you're being hysterical. Um, well, he didn't start there. Um, but he didn't just stop with like, it's okay, honey. Like you'll, you'll be fine. The world's not ending. He, he then added some really helpful data and perspective and input. Um, and I felt better. Um, but he kind of, he, he met me where I was and then he, um, he added some really helpful information on the back end. And so, um, I think the truth is if you're in too much of a rush to add that information, not only is it, um, you know, probably not going to like affect that person the way that you want it to, but you should probably ask yourself why you are in such a hurry to impart the information. Like, is it because you want to be right or you want to sound smart or you're annoyed that they're, you know, feeling a certain way? Um, and, you know, maybe do a little check there. Um, because if you're resisting empathy, then there may be something going on. Um, but there's, it's a really simple start and it's not only helpful to the other person, but it's really productive for the conversation moving forward. Yeah. It feels like, especially with some of these national things, um, even on our staff with, um, there are certain people who are deeply affected by the news of some of these racial unrests, the the African-American members of our staff, my friends who are black, it, it, it starts with empathy. It's like, how are you doing? Not, what do you think about the facts of this thing? It's how did this affect you? And then starting from that place and then having conversations about how to move forward, but first always starting with empathy, it seems critically important. But empathy sometimes is hard to come by, right? We can shut off, shut down, cut out because people have different opinions or Jay, you were talking about um, kind of a, a general communication theory of something that humans kind of naturally do um, and we all do it. So it's not like some people do or smart people do it or smart people don't do it. Uh, did you want to- Smart people know the name for it though. Yeah, so do smart people do know the name of it. And we're all about to get a lot smarter <laughs> yeah. because of, of we're all about to learn something. So Jay, what's that called? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's this phrase and this idea concept in the world of psychology called imagine, uh, imagined supported supporter mechanism. Imagined, imagined supporter, supporter mechanism. mechanism. All okay. three words are really crucially important. It's a mechanism. It's a mechanism that all human beings, at least in the Western world, I think, all human beings carry. It's sort of like almost inbred in us because of the world we're born into. Uh, and the other two words are crucially, critically important. It's imagined, <laughs> meaning it's made up in our own head and it's about supporters. So what it means, imagined supporter mechanism, 
In the world of psychology, it's a phrase used to describe that uh, reality within all of us, where we have categories in our minds um, that we construct because of a variety of reasons, whether it's you know media or our own personal experiences or other things. We construct these categories in our minds that certain people who exhibit certain traits are a particular way. So I'll just use a very common example. Uh, a person who votes for a particular candidate or votes, uh, aligns themselves with a particular political party, um, imagines supporter mechanism, what it does is we assume and we infer upon that person all sorts of different ideas we have in our own imagined construct for what people who support that candidate or align themselves with that political party, everybody who does that, they're a particular type of person with particular types of worldviews and particular personality traits and all of those things. That's imagined supporter mechanisms. So somebody comes to you and they tell you that in the last election, they've voted for the candidate that you are adamantly against. What imagined supporter mechanism does, and we all carry this to a certain extent, we now assume about that person all sorts of things that we have in our category for people who vote for that candidate, what they're like. And so we just, we just infer all that sort of meaning and all that sort of bias upon that person. And what it does is it kills the opportunity. Um, it self-sabotages the opportunity for empathy and for friendship and for real deep, meaningful connection. Because something you said just a little while ago, Liz, I think is critically important and I think is the way of Jesus. You said that Mike met you where you were, right? Which is essentially extending um, hospitality. It's not actually hospitality because it's not the person coming to you and you hosting. It's actually generosity and it's a sacrificial generosity. It's us journeying to where the other person currently sort of situates themselves whether it's politically or their particular perspective or view on any, anything. And, and if we're, you know, if you read the, the teachings of Jesus, he's so abundantly clear that the Jesus ethic is for us to go the extra mile for the other is for us to take the journey to distant lands to, to be with those who are alone or afraid or whatever uh, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, but also literally in some cases. Um, and yet I think in our day and age, we, we like for, for a variety of reasons, we refuse to do that. We stick our flag on the ground and we demand that everyone comes to us and find their way to, to us and our view on particular issues. And right. if they can't get there, then that's their problem, not my problem. Yeah. And I'm not saying we have to relinquish our, position or our opinion on, on a variety of matters, what I am saying is that the call of Jesus is that um, we be willing to take the journey toward the other, to meet them where they are, and to ask the question, why, you know, and how, and what have you been through? Because the thing I found to be true is to deconstruct imagined supporter mechanism, to stop assuming things about other people based on their politics or their opinions on any particular matter, it, it, the only way to do it is empathy. That's what psychology tells us. That's what my own experience tells me. And by empathy, 
what we mean is, you know, the writer Jaron Lanier, he's got this crazy book called 10 Reasons You Should Delete Your Social Media Right Now. And in it, he's got this incredible line. He says that empathy is the fuel that runs a decent society. And that without empathy, all we have are dry rules and competitions for power. That's what he says. And that's the wow. world we live in right now in many ways because we're just competing for power. Like who has the power? Who can speak the loudest, basically? Because we have no empathy. And yet the Christian ethic, I think, is to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Or um, if one part suffers, the entire body suffers. That's what it says, right? Getting back to your point, um, Dave, about those who, who are experiencing things that maybe we haven't experienced. And so to go to where they are, to meet them where they are, is so critically important in being able to have helpful dialogue that moves things forward. Yeah, and just remembering that, you know, when we're thinking about, um, you know, even that motivation and persuasion or, or you know, that goal of, of bringing them to a certain place, the, the idea that, you know, when we're in community with one another, um, the, the, the ultimate goal is not um, to persuade or motivate the people who we're with about politics, right? Like the most important thing about each other is not who we will vote for. And that's not even gonna be the most important thing on November 3rd or, or any other time. Like the most important thing for us is unity as followers of Christ. And some of us are gonna vote for someone and some of us are gonna vote for someone else. And in the end, we're gonna be facing whatever this world is, hopefully together. Because our goal is not you know, to, um, uh, is, is not necessarily to align ourselves with a certain party. Our goal is um, that, that ultimate number four, um, Dave, what was that called? Hope, hope and purpose. purpose. And hope. Yeah, our purpose and hope isn't going to be decided in November. Our purpose and hope has already been decided. Our purpose and hope is Jesus. And so whatever happens, you know, our, our purpose in this world hasn't changed. And our hope in the world hasn't changed. And, and to do either of those well, we need to do them together. And we, we need to have love and respect um, stay in the family. Yeah. So the, it seems like the two most important or helpful practically out of those four calm theories is not trying to change people's you know, facts. Although we live in an age of rampant misinformation and just for all to be aware that there are nefarious works and uh, nefarious things out there that try to get disinformation into our minds. That's, that's, we've got to be real smart about that. And not even motivation, to your point, Liz, um, those things. That empathy, the, the connection is, that's number one. That's probably the most helpful. And then to lead with a purpose and hope. Um, so let's talk practical. Like how in the world do we lead with empathy? How do we get to empathy? How do we avoid the kinds of things, the, um, the, the, the kind of things that Jay was talking about? How do we avoid lumping people in, writing them off, or you know, those kinds of things? What has helped you guys personally do these kinds of things, move toward empathy? You know, one of the things that's been most helpful for me, particularly when I'm in a conversation with somebody about something that we disagree, even uh -huh. vehemently on, <laughs> is like just this three-word question 
that changes everything almost all the time. Not always, but almost all the time. Is the is three more questions, the, how'd you get so stupid? No, that's not what it is. <laughs> that's more than no, three words. Oh yeah, that's true, that's yeah. true. Why so <laughs> stupid? <laughs> oh, the question is like, uh, tell me more. Oh. <laughs> tell me more. Like we don't, because here's what I have found. Again, not always, but almost always. Almost always. We, I could be talking to somebody about politics, about a particular measure or a particular candidate, and we vehemently disagree. And I have not done this as well or as often as I wish um, I would, but I have done it where I, I feel the emotions, right? So the person is like aligned with a particular candidate or a particular measure or whatever. And then, you know, like it, as it happens to all of us, you feel that burning inside and you're like, oh, this foolish, foolish human being, right? Why can't they see? And there's a million things you want to say. But then you ask the question like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, tell me more. <laughs> like where, and, and not just tell me more, but to follow up and to make it your goal to get beyond the, the politics and to get beyond the particulars of the candidate or the measure or their particular position on that, you know, justice issue or whatever. And instead, to continuously ask, tell me more with a goal being that um, I'm trying to get to the most human common denominator with a person. And what I have discovered almost every single time is that what begins as a conversation with a political um, adversary, you know, who has a totally different view than me, almost always ends up being a conversation with a fellow father or a fellow husband or a fellow human who right. longs for the flourishing of themselves and their loved ones, a fellow human who has fears and anxieties about the future, just like me, you know, right. a, a fellow, uh, you know, just a compatriot in the, in the struggle of life, trying to figure out how they can make sure they leave a better world for their kids than they live in. We, I almost always find that common denominator. If I'm willing to do the work of asking the question, tell me more. So, you know, I have had conversations with people who have literally diametrically opposed views on politics or justice issues or social issues or whatever than me. And I have had conversations with them where we, we do enough of the tell me more and enough disarming happens that we land at a place where we still disagree on particulars, but we agree that uh, we hope the best for our children and we hope that, um, you know, or, or that we share very similar fears about the future. And that's, I think, where empathy is born. And my perspective on the person changes. And it, it, it destroys those caricatures of the imagined supporter mechanism. Um, so there you go. That's one really practical thing that's been helpful for me on a personal level. Liz, you talked about sometimes th there's an avoidance of these things, right? So, I mean, we got to dig into it. What things help you with empathy? What have you, when you make the decision to, to delve into these deep stuff and what's helped you with, with the empathy building? So, um, I am naturally fairly empathetic. Like that's, right. I, that's my go-to. I am right. all the feels. Like I, I love the feelings. I love finding that human spot in someone in any conversation that I have, whether it's about politics or anything else. Um, 
And so in some ways, empathy is actually normally really easy for me. Um, but, and I kind of hinted at this earlier, um, that imagined supporter mechanism is real in my brain, you guys. Like, it's scary to me how real it is. Yeah. I, I feel like I should be smarter or more empathetic or above it. Um, but I get like really uncomfortable um, sometimes when I like I connection and human connection and a relationship is a huge priority to me. And then I think, oh my gosh, if we if we get into this, like we're that connection is going to be broken. Um, or you know, um, uh, like I can't let them know what I think because like it's it it's it's going to divide us. Mm -hmm. Um, and also just like, um, you know, I, I can't engage with them because I'm worried that I will like them less at the end of the conversation. So a lot of like some of the ways that empathy has helped me is to notice my own resistance to empathy and my own reluctance to engage and how that has a lot more to do with me, um, than with them. Um, and so when I can get past that, what that looks like for me is knowing that, like committing to myself at the beginning of the conversation, that I will be as connected or more connected with this person at the end, because we are going to involve honesty and vulnerability, and it's going to be in the context of love and respect that that happens. And so I am going to commit to actually stay connected with that person no matter where the conversation goes. Yeah. Um, and so, so that, that for me has been really huge. And when that has happened, I have noticed um, that actually, you know, just like what Dave, uh, what Jay was saying, you know, we, we actually have a lot more in common. And in many cases, the things that they're reacting to um, and the data that they're reacting to um, is, is what they have to work with. Um, you know, and so sometimes it's funny because someone, someone will say something to me and it's from a very different news source than I read. Um, and I'll just think, that's terrifying. Like, what is that? Is that happening? Is that true? And then I look it up and I, you know, and um, in fact, this happened just this weekend. We were having a conversation and um, someone who was there actually fact-checked someone who was there who had said something. And it wasn't because they were trying to catch them in something. It was because like, oh my goodness, that is scary. And they looked it up and they were like, oh, no, <laughs> actually, like, sure, if you were going to be like a clickbaity headline or, you know, trying to scare someone, you could point, paint it in that light. But actually what's going on is this. And we all kind of, we all um, kind of came around that. And instead of thinking like, oh, this person is an idiot for believing this, it was like, you know what? We all have to be really in, in careful with the information that we get. Yeah. We all have to be really careful with how much information that we like repeat, especially if we haven't checked it out ourselves. Um, we should be, you know, if we're going to put a stake in the ground, that stake in the ground should be, you know, our commitment to our friends and family, not our commitment to an idea or, or politic. Um, and, um, you know, and then like, if we, if we're willing to be, 
um, honest and respectful, I actually think that um, it makes it, uh, it actually makes connection happen. Like not in a non-awkward or easy way, um, but it is actually really possible. It feels like Christians of all the people should lead with kindness and dignity to everyone they talk to in a world that is unkind and removes the dignity of people who believe differently. That should be one thing to your point, Liz. And then secondly, that we should really, really be the most hope filled people um, trying to get to the, get to the bottom of the, the most empathic and the most hope filled. Um, and I know that this, that's ground on me. There are times when I'm filled with frustration. I know you guys, you, it, this has been a frustrating season. It's been a, it seems like every day something new that's terrible happens and that grinds on your, like I'm an emotional guy and I feel like my surge protector that protects my emotions was blown in May. So I've been living with that one for months, but empathy and uh, purpose and hope. And I, I just wanted to, to, to remind us that that's, that's the probably the way forward out of this, if anything else. So um, thank you guys for, uh, for, uh, for sharing what you, you shared. I just wanted to, to cl close with one, one example of this, um, this calm theory. Um, I was living in New York, it was my senior year of college, and there was this uh, moment where I would ride the subway, the A train home uh, from Times Square down to, to where I lived off uh, uh, Penn Station. And uh, so I, I was riding the, the, at home and there was, uh, it was late, kind of late at night, I had to work late at the, at the office, and there was a drunk guy and uh, I was, you know, I'm a pretty big guy, I'm pretty tall. I, I'm pretty, pretty large. This guy was, I mean, he must have been, I don't know if he was a relative of the rock or I don't, he was just gigantic. He was so big. He was so big and he was so muscular and he was absolutely drunk. I mean, he was really drunk and he was aggressively drunk. And he was violently drunk. He had like this bottle and it was in a, in a, in a brown paper bag. He was like banging it on the, on the, on the on the metal bars in there and he was yelling and I don't even know what he was yelling and everyone just instinctively in the whole train car just kind of pushed back to the edges and I knew man this is a bad situation I just started thinking man if I had to defend myself could I take this guy and the answer of course is no no I could not and so it was this really tense situation and all of a sudden this 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 man got up and he was this I'm gonna say older I don't know if he was elderly but he was he was older and he was this Japanese guy. He was like five foot, like something. He was very short. He gets up and starts walking over. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to get killed. He's going to get killed. This guy, this, this huge drunk guy is just going to beat him up. Uh, he's going to, what's going to happen? And we all just sat there. And I remember watching in amazement, this guy um, looked at him and he said, you know, I see you're drinking. I used to drink a lot when my wife died because I was very, very sad. Are you sad? And then he just sat down with this guy in this huge, I just watched this giant rage-filled muscle man just slump and begin sobbing. And this, this elderly Japanese man just began sitting and talking. And that's when I realized the power of empathy. He really entered into his world and the power of hope. Like I've, I was there and I can get through this. And if we can, I just watched it just diffuse a situation that frankly was probably going to end in an arrest in jail time, if we're honest. And it turned into this beautiful moment of like, like connection and redemption. And, and, and it was really a, a crazy thing. So I think that if we as Christians can lead like that, and I don't know if that 
older Japanese man was a Christian. I'd like to think he was, but it was, it was a beautiful moment. And I think if we can just get out of our posturing and me too, into empathy and into hope, I think we can go a long way. So anyway, I just yeah. want to thank you guys for, uh, for being on here and, and sharing your perspectives and, and thank you guys for, for that. And I hope that going forward, we can all just be a little bit better. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Liz. And uh, we'll talk next time about something far less controversial and easy. Thanks, leaders. These are tough times. Yeah, they are. They are. Thank you guys for, for doing what you're doing. And we'll see you next time.